now with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved. Here is Dr. James Houck. Good afternoon, everybody, wherever you are in the world at this time. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, finding one's courage to reclaim that which has always, always, always been in you from the very, very beginning. Very excited to be with you here today, each and every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or noon Pacific Standard Time and any other time in between. And uh, each and every week, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of our spirituality and our mental health, all within the context of our relationships, the relationship that we have with ourselves, uh, the relationship that we have with others, and our relationship with God and or the divine. I am Dr. James Houck, and if you would like more information about me or to leave me your comments about today's show, I just invite you to visit the website. It's uh, www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. That's www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. And if you would like to call in and be part of the show and talk about uh, today's topic, uh, that number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I will be taking your calls after the break. And uh, these broadcasts are also podcasted now, so in case you want to go back and listen again, or you can go back into the archives and and uh, pull up previous shows that you may have missed. And again, I just wanted to uh, thank everybody for their continued support over the past year and a half now, and, and just like to say that uh, you've always had the opportunity to continue your support uh, by becoming a monthly subscriber. Now, a uh, subscription is not required to listen to any of these talk shows but it is greatly appreciated. So again, you can just go on the website and then you just click at the banner at the top uh, about uh, uh, show uh, subscriptions and you can choose any amount that you feel comfortable giving. Thank well, as I always start off at the beginning of these shows is just kind of a standard because we have new people tuning in for the very first time and just to make sure everybody's on the same page, more or less, is just a little bit of an introduction, a little bit of explanation of just why in the world, uh, you know, we have a show called Reclaiming Authenticity. Well, it's uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, this is something that, um, you know, it's just just grown in my heart, my own spiritual path, and so forth over the past several, several years, uh, because I, I have a very solid belief that uh, all of us come into the world already equipped and graced with everything we need in this life in terms of our skills and our talents, our strengths, our giftedness, our character traits, you know, personality and so forth, and how we live our giftedness is in and through various relationships. 
Okay, and and here's where you know it gets a little deep, and here's the irony of being in relationships with one another and our giftedness, because when you think about it, uh, we often receive our deepest physical, emotional, psychological, and even spiritual wounds in and through relationships, and you know, moreover, we often go along in life and maybe even due to some unpleasant experiences, we may feel as though we need to hide that specialness about us, you know, that uniqueness about us, about us, or uh, those talents or those strengths. Or we may push what's unique about us way, way down so that others cannot see it because perhaps we've been in a situation where our uniqueness or our giftedness was exploited uh, for one reason or another, and we were really, we ended up really being wounded as a result. Or perhaps, you know, maybe growing up, you're told that you would never amount to anything. Because nobody saw the specialness about you or what was unique about you or whatever other voice you heard telling you that there's really nothing special to you. Uh, And yet the irony part is, you know, we can still discover our greatest healing and our strength, our peace, forgiveness and love through healthier relationships. And it's the relationships that kind of the common denominator in all this, okay? And so, uh, as I share with uh, you know couples and as well as individuals, it's not this isn't just for couples, but you can always find that we're just in a, a very special relationship uh, with others when we find that peace or that authentic moment in our lives in which. Um, the other person just allows us to be who we are. And in fact, just by their presence, um, just in their own way, pulls out of us the very best of ourselves and and vice versa. You know, the way we are with other people, in a sense, gives them permission to be who they are and actually can draw out of others, um, you know, the very best of, of who they are and their skills and giftedness and so forth. But, you know, these uh, relationships that we're in, you know, we don't have to look too far because they are certainly within our own families or our coworkers, even our friends, because, um, you know, ultimately transformation is the goal. And, uh, you know, because whenever we transform and whenever we find healing or whenever we become aware of, I never knew I had that in me, we also transform others by our presence, our grace, and our understanding. But first, forgiveness and kindness and compassion begin really with how we treat ourselves. And uh, again, with this being Earth Day, uh, it reminds us just how connected we are with all things. And how we treat ourselves is how we treat all living beings and so forth. Because certainly when we are, say, compassionate, with ourselves, we can then be compassionate with others. Or when we are forgiving of ourselves, we then can be more forgiving with others. And when we're able to live in gratitude with ourselves, we then discover how this really opens up our hearts to see and to live in gratitude with others. And therefore, transformation, first and foremost, begins with us.
Well, I hope you're having uh, a good day so far. I, you know, on this uh, Earth Day, it's just always nice to be reminded of just the connectedness that we have with all of creation, and um, whether in good Native American Indian terms, uh, whether the, the relationships we have are with two-legged, four-legged, uh, winged creatures, finned creatures, uh, those that make their home in the air, those that make their home on the water or in the water. Uh, and those that make their home on the land or even in the land or in the earth, I should say, that we are certainly all, all connected. Well, how is your heart today? Uh, you know, I, I hope your heart is well. I hope that you are well. And I hope that uh, even if you are struggling a little bit today, uh, you will find rest and comfort and the peace that you need. Well, in speaking of how and why we may have pushed our giftedness way down inside of us so that others cannot see it or even uh, believing those messages of just being, you know, we were told that we would never amount to anything or whatever other voice we heard telling us that there's really nothing special to us. Uh, today's show really focuses on the illusion of these negative beliefs that convince us to look for truth about ourselves in all the wrong places. And by that I mean, let's just start with the title of today's show, is ignorance blissful? Or in other words, I didn't know that, so am I okay? Well, there's an old saying uh, that uh, a person who doesn't know about a problem really doesn't need to worry about it. He never keeps up with the news or cares about the troubles in the world because he believes that ignorance is bliss. Now, while this saying is humorous on one level, you know, it also indicates uh, that there is a responsibility involved once a person discovers the truth. Because again, when you think about it, ignorance does have its place in life for a while though, you know, but still, is ignorance blissful? Well, not really. In fact, it's just the opposite. Because today, I'm going to be talking about when we become aware of the truth, especially the truth about ourselves and, and who we are and how do we live that out in today's world, we're then left with an incredible responsibility that actually brings us to a freedom like we've never known before, and herein opens the door for us to experience bliss and joy. Well, have you ever had the fear of being excluded by a group of people, or fear of being excommunicated, or even the fear of being overlooked? I mean, whether it was intentional or maybe it was by accident, uh, the feelings from not being included can be quite devastating. I mean, after all, we, you know, we tend to look at ourselves first and like, did I do something wrong? Did I offend somebody? You know, did I, you know, what's wrong with me? And all those questions just run through our mind, okay? But the feelings from not being included can can be really troublesome. And uh, many people this time of the year often struggle with 
the fear of missing out on family or company gatherings and parties. I mean, here we are just coming on, off the heels of uh, Easter, you know, just, you know, a great holiday in which families tend to get together. And, and in a couple of weeks, we have Mother's Day. And then, you know, at the end of March or at the end of May, I should say, uh, we have Memorial Day. Okay. And so it's just, you know, people will start to come together. And, um, you know, there's always this fear of missing out on a family or company gatherings or these parties. You know, will I be invited? Am I included? Is my name on the list? And will so-and-so be there? I mean, these, these are very real concerns in a world in which inclusion seems to be at the heart of everyday life. You know, where do I fit? Who do I fit with? Where do I fit in? And so forth. Everybody wants to be part of something. You know, they want to be part of a group. They want to be part of an identity. They want to be part of a cause and so forth. Yet, what if I told you that you do not need to worry about being forgotten because the truth of who you are already lies within yourself? In other words, the reality is that we are already included, but we're just not aware of it. Okay, and this was actually a problem that 10 boys faced one day when they overlooked one important detail, as well as how that awareness changed their lives forever. So how do you know what truth is? And, and where does truth connect in you? Where does it resonate? In your head? Your heart? Your soul? Well, many people say that when it comes to truth, I, I have to trust my gut. And uh, one of the things I'm sure you've heard me say on more than one occasion here in this, this, these broadcasts, that uh, my mother used to say that, uh, well, I have complete peace of mind about anything. You know, everybody else was getting upset or like, well, how can you be so calm? And she goes, I don't know, but I just have complete peace of mind. You know, it used to drive me crazy as a young boy because I didn't know what she meant. I just never understood what she meant by that phrase. But, um, I, you know, after careful consideration, more importantly, I wanted her to be just as upset about something as I was. But. To her credit, she never did because she refused to focus on the externals and, and situations and circumstances. But she always had this way of looking beyond the, the immediate in order to focus on the eternal. So for me, now, whenever I'm confronted with discerning truth in my life, I begin by recognizing how a statement feels deep in my soul. I mean, and let me give you an example of this. First, I, I tell myself out loud just an utter absurd lie, a total untruth. And then I listen. Or should I say that I, I wait for the feeling? And I recognize that feeling. You know, and it's just like, okay, that's how I feel when I'm faced with a lie or or an untruth. Okay, it just has a... It's not sitting well with me kind of feel to it, okay? And then I tell myself something true about myself. And then I sit and I listen or I wait for the feeling. And I have complete peace. 
I am calm. I have understanding, even joy. And I begin to discern between the two feelings. So that's my way of distinguishing, you know, whether or not something is true for me, whether or not something is connecting in me, of just how it sits with me and how do I feel and so forth. Because you see that, you know, lies and untruths and distress and negative energies really do weaken us. You know, it has an effect on us. We can really feel it. But truth makes us stronger. And yet many people look for truth outside themselves as if they are part of the cast of the X-Files, you know, that the truth is out there. But very few people begin by looking within. And perhaps this is a very daunting task for people because they really don't know who they are, let alone how do I ask the right questions? Well, in other words, you're, you're more than what you have become even up to this moment in your life. That's your truth. And a lot of people settle for another person's definition of them or the expectations of, you know, of, of, of others that just do not resonate within. It doesn't resonate because it's not your truth. And your truth is ultimately who you are. Well, there's a story that's commonly told to explain how we look for truth in all the wrong places. But when we find the truth about ourselves, then again, we are left with an incredible responsibility that brings us into a freedom like we have never known before. And herein lies the bliss, a bliss that doesn't come from ignorance but a bliss that comes straight from awareness and understanding and realization. And the story I'm thinking of is the story of the ten boys, or the story of the tenth man. And in ancient times in India, young boys were often sent, uh, probably around the age of 12, to study with a guru. Uh, either at the guru's house if the guru was married, or in the guru's hermitage if the, the guru was renunciate. Okay? And the boy or the group of boys would stay with his guru for about 12 years or so, studying the Vedas and the Upanishads, and somewhere around age 24, he would return home to be married. And the story itself uh, concerns 10 boys who were studying at their guru's home. Uh, now, the boys decided that they would like to return to their village for a festival and to visit their families. And then, of course, they would return to their guru. But the guru was a bit concerned about their going as he wasn't able to accompany them himself at that time. Well, one of the boys spoke up, and he said that he would take responsibility for the group and make sure they all arrived safely and that they would all get back to the guru's home safely and so forth. And the guru eventually, but very reluctantly, agreed to let them go. And one day, they started out on their journey. And on the way, they came to just a swiftly flowing river which they had to cross. There was no bridge or so forth, but I mean, it was the low point in the river still, um, but they had to cross it. 
And the boy who was leading the group uh, just advised the rest, you know, let's all hold hands and just carefully watch our footing and let's just take our time and cross the river. Let's just find the rocks and then we'll just, we'll go and we'll make it. Well, initially, they began to cross uh, this river very carefully, but the current was so swift that the boys were quickly separated, and some appeared to be swept away downstream. And one by one, as they scrambled up on the banks of the other side of the river, they were dripping wet, and they were frightened from their experience. But the leader you know, took control, and he advised them all to line up so that he could count them to make sure they had all had crossed safely. And so they all lined up, and the, the, the leader, the boy, started to count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine? Wait a minute, that can't be right. He had them line up again differently, okay? Just, let's, let's do it again. And again, the count was nine. And the leader counted them over and over again, repeatedly, and every time, all that he came up was with the number nine. And again, after a while, you know, the, the leader just said, this can't be right. Does this mean that one boy did not make it across? Did this mean that one boy is lost? Did this mean that one boy drowned? And was this one boy dead? Well, the boys all ran around in a panic, and they started to beat the bushes, and they were looking, and they were screaming, and they were crying for the tenth boy. And the leader, he just didn't know what to do. I mean, after all, he promised the guru that he would take care of the group, and he would watch over them and make sure they got home safely. But now one appeared to be missing. And so he's just like, what is my teacher going to say? What will the boy's parents say? I took responsibility, and now one of us has drowned. Well, across the way, a wise old man was sitting nearby, and he was watching the whole drama as it unfolded. And he understood what had happened, and he approached the leader of the group. And through the, his tears, the boar poured out this story of woe and weeping and utter despair and saying, I took responsibility for the group, and now one of us is lost. One of us has drowned in the river. Well, the wise old man very calmly said to the boy, son, don't worry. I can help you. I know where the tenth boy is. Well, this leader of the group was a bit skeptical, but he was also desperate. And the old man did appear to be calm, and, and he, he you know, sounded sane. And so he said, okay, please, yes, please help us if you can. And the old man said, okay, again, all of you just line up, and this time I will count you. And the leader thought, well, this is kind of a waste of time because I've already counted them over and over again. But still, they did as the old man requested because he did seem, you know, sane and wise, and they were all in total despair. And so the boys lined up, and the boys who had been, or the, I should say the boy who had been leading the group, took, you know, the last place in the line. And the old man counted. One, two, three. Four, five, 
six, seven, eight, nine. And then arriving at the leader, the old man said, 10, you are the 10th man. And the leader was elated. Like, uh, uh, I'm the 10th man? The 10th boy hadn't drowned in the river, and he wasn't lost. And all the while, the 10th boy was there as the leader himself. But he had gone unnoticed, overlooked, and uncounted for. Well, how often do we find ourselves in a very similar situation? We count everything else, everything that we see and perceive, and, and, but yet we forget to count ourselves. We forget to include ourselves. I mean, we'll even search for ourselves in all kinds of places, situations, and experiences, and yet we are always right there. Our very own self, which is totally 100% present and available, standing as the I am, but often overlooked in all of our activities. Now, on a deeper level, the reason why the leader did not count himself was because he actually believed the answer to the solution was to be found outside himself. You know, and, and after all, this makes perfect sense because, you know, where the first counter found the other nine, he expected to find the tenth one. Okay, surely, you know, the, the, the tenth boy had to be there. You know, he, just, he couldn't be any anywhere else. There was just no other explanation for this. And so, you know, in being in a similar situation, we panic. And we are traumatized, searching for what has never been lost. Again, and this is what reclaiming authenticity is all about. Reclaiming that which has always been with you. From the very beginning. And you know, sometimes it takes a wise person to point this out to us. Seeing this in us before we see it in ourselves. In other words, someone who is standing outside the situation, somebody who's not caught up in our anxiety, somebody who knows what our problem is, as well as what the solution is. And when we take a step back, and when we look at this story through the eyes of a metaphor, this tenth boy actually represents pure awareness, the witness of all things. Because awareness is not a thing. Awareness is not a phenomenon. So our teacher, our spiritual friend, comes along and has to remind us sometimes that you are awareness. You are the tenth person. And at some point, it becomes quite obvious to us. And we wonder how we could have overlooked something for so long. But still, awareness goes way beyond having a realization or an aha moment. You know, awareness actually compels us to embrace a radical transformation of our mind, our perceptions, and who we are as souls. You see, knowledge of the self as a soul is the ultimate knowledge. 
It is true knowledge which dissolves our ignorance and illusion. And by knowing the self as a soul, we overcome our fears and anxieties and are assured in the knowledge that the soul is vast and indestructible. And once we have this awareness, once we realize that we're not lost, no, we didn't drown, we are still there, we just need to be included, we just need to be counted, then we engage in allowing our lives to unfold, and then we accept where it is taking us. When we are counting all the goodness in the world, and as we're reminded of this on this Earth Day, don't forget to count yourself and who you are. Because the greatest question we could ever ask in this world is, who am I? It's a question that that takes us deep within ourselves to a lifelong discovery. But we all must begin at the place that we don't know what we don't know. We do begin from a place of ignorance. But it's not a place in which we rest in and say, well, this is blissful. Because that which I don't know, then I don't have to take responsibility for. But it's an illusion. But once we are aware of who we are, that brings such a freedom. That brings the bliss. That brings the joy. And from there, we are to remain humble, teachable, and ever alert to the subtle lessons that guide us into knowing ourselves as a soul who is connected to a vast universe. So include yourself. Having the awareness of who you are and where you are, and be ever mindful of the transformative power of your presence. In other words, in every situation, have the awareness of looking for the grace, love, and peace. Because when, let's say, you find yourself in a situation, and as you're looking for the grace, love, and peace, and you can't find the grace, love, and peace in a situation, may you have the awareness that you can certainly become the grace, love, and peace in every situation. So don't forget to count yourself when finding goodness in the world. Even if others overlook you, don't overlook yourself. Well, I would really love to hear what's on your heart about this subject. So, again, if you'd like to call in, we can certainly talk about this. This uh, The number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. And I'm your host, Dr. James Houck. Be back with you in one minute.
Okay, welcome back after a very short break. I'm Dr. James Houck, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Again, I uh, just want to remind you about next week's show. Uh, this is a, a show that in which I, I've shared this story before. It's a story about a boy who 15 years later realized that the outer world has really no happiness. I mean, what what brought him happiness from the outer world, such as acquiring and enjoying something that he wanted? And you know, we can actually put ourselves right in the story because while you do feel happy in such situations of thinking that you get some things or enjoying those things that you have, it's really not true happiness because it always leaves us wanting more. It's not so much the very happiness in which it, we seek, because it doesn't satisfy the urgings or the cry of the soul. And this is because you just don't want to be happy some of the time, or you know you just don't want to be somewhat happy. I mean, we want to be absolutely happy all the time. And the, the happiness that comes from our experiences in the world is impermanent, uh, always changing. It's always uncertain, and because of that, there's this subtle feeling of fear of losing it or not being able to keep it and so forth. And the reason why we experience the subtlety of fear, even though we are happy, is because we all know that nothing stays the same. And still, true happiness is absolute. It's permanent. It's independent of any external and constantly changing factors. So tune in next week. I'm going to share with you a story that I've shared before. It's uh, The Princess of Kashi. Uh, Though this time I'm going to uh, turn the the story on its head a little bit. We're going to look at it uh, just a little bit differently this time. So, uh, again, tune in next week. That would be April 29th, and then we're going to be out of April, and we can look forward to the month of May. So, well, earlier in the show, I was talking about uh, what do we do when we are confronted with the truth? I mean, how do we recognize it? Uh, where does it connect in you? You know, where does it resonate within you? Does it does truth land in your head? Does it land in your heart? Does it land in your soul? And as I shared, you know, I have my uh, uh, own way of truth detecting, and and um, you know, many people say, well, I trust my gut. And I shared that you know, my mother had her own way of just saying, well, I have complete peace of mind about everything. And again, that just drove me crazy because I couldn't understand exactly where she was coming from. But um, that's because I never understood what she meant. But more importantly, I wanted her to be just as upset about something as I was. You know, I just figured like she didn't care because she wasn't upset. And that just that was inaccurate. That just what I assumed, you know, it just wasn't true. Okay, but again, to her credit, she, you know, just stayed true to her. I have a complete peace of mind about things because she refused to focus on the externals and situations and circumstances because she always looked beyond these in order to focus on, you know, what what's more important here. And she always focused on things that were eternal. And uh, as I shared uh, before the break, there just leads us right into the story of the 10th man. 
where you know it's uh, it's a story that's uh, commonly told to explain how we look for truth in all the wrong places because we're looking from outside of ourselves. But when we find the truth about ourselves, we are then left with an incredible responsibility that brings us to a freedom like we've never known before. And this story uh, of the tenth man or the ten boys, it involves ten boys who crossed a very torrid river, and when they got to the other side, the leader decided to count them to make sure everyone crossed safely. And yet, to his uh, surprise and horror, there were only nine of them. And yet, when he realized, you know, he forgot to count himself, that's when he understood his error. You know, he kept lining up the boys and going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And he thought one was missing because he never counted himself. He never included himself. But when he included himself, his sorrow was gone and he was filled with relief and happiness. And this is our situation in the world in which we live, you know. As I mentioned, you know, we count everything that we see or we perceive, but we often forget to count ourselves. You know, we will even search for the truth about ourselves, that we are eternal souls and in all kinds of places and situations and experiences, and yet we are always and ever right here. We just haven't realized it, let alone how then do we live that truth out? Well, in this story of the the tenth man or the ten boys, also lies very profound and universal truths about the progress of our spiritual life. You know, not just in all religions, but it also involves a process of how we go from not knowing and ignorance and error to an awareness, a discovery, bliss, allowance, and acceptance. And interestingly enough, this process can also be found in the world of psychology, namely when it comes to understanding, let's say, recovery from addictions. Um, There is a, a technique out there, it's called motivational enhancement therapy, which really seeks to understand the, the readiness and the willingness uh, for change, a readiness for transformation. Okay? But first, let's take a look at these, there are seven stages that are highlighted in the story of the Tenth Man, which really illuminates just the deeper hidden meanings of this story. Very profound. Okay. Well, the first stage involves ignorance. And here, the, the boys in the story, they didn't know the Tenth One was there among them. I mean, they just kept counting nine. In other words, they didn't know what they didn't know. They were just simply not aware of that error yet. And we fall into this ignorance, too, when we do not know ourselves as pure consciousness or the vast self as a soul. And and this is something we just go through life. We're just simply not aware. And yet we think this is cause for bliss. And it's not. But the same is all, same thing is also true in motivational enhancement. You know, it's ignorance. 
let's say that the addicted person lives in ignorance of the extent of his or her dependence on drugs or alcohol. You know, they're they're blind to it because they think, well, this is normal behavior. Doesn't everybody believe like this? Doesn't everybody act this way? You know, they're they're caught up in the their denial and illusion that their freedom from the psychological and emotional and physical and spiritual pain comes from outside themselves and not from within. Ignorance. Ignorance is certainly not blissful. Right? Well, the second stage involves error. In other words, what you don't know, of course, leads to error. And in the story, the ten boys believed, after they crossed the river, uh, because they only counted nine of them, they assumed that one of them must have drowned. And we identify with this part of the story when we are ignorant of the awareness of what we think we are. Namely, we only identify with the body and the mind. You know, we for for example, we say things like, "Well, I'm tall, I'm short, I'm this many years old, I am male, I am female, I am smart, my IQ is, you know, or I do this or that for a living," or we might even say, "I am sick, I am tired, I am healthy," and so forth. But. Because we are ignorant of the truth of who we truly are, we overly identify as nothing more than just the body and mind. And I'm not saying that these things are not true. You know, certainly we become aware of, you know, pain in the body or hunger or illness or strength or just flat out exhaustion of the body. But as eternal souls, we, we often limit ourselves when we exclusively identify with the pain and the hunger and the illness and the strength and exhaustion. So now let's put this into the perspective of motivational enhancement theory and overcoming addictions, okay? Because we are ignorant of the truth of who we are, and therefore, as a result, our error will be in believing that we need this drug or this alcohol in order to feel something or to feel nothing in our emotions and or the body. You know, we believe that we can't live without these substances because the pain that we overly identify with, with the mind and the body. And so all the while disrupting and destroying the lives of us and the people around us and families and so forth. So error is clearly in the second stage. We identify as nothing more than the body and the mind. And yet there is so much more to us, even that which we haven't even realized. In other words, the best is yet to come. And then there's the third stage, sorrow. We're sad because we assume that the error is true. So again, let's go back to the, the story of the 10th man. You know, these, these boys were sad because they assumed that because they only counted nine after they crossed the river, then, of course, one of them must have drowned. You know, one of them must have been lost or, or whatever. And they became sad. They grieved. 
you know, and they were just filled with despair. You know, what are we going to do? How can we let this happen? But this misperception is similar to another story that you've heard me share with you regarding a washerman who went through the motions and emotions of pretending to tie his donkey to a tree. And the washerman, he didn't have rope to tie the donkey to the tree. He knew it was only a ruse, but the donkey didn't. And so the donkey watched him go through the motions. And then afterwards, the donkey actually believed he was tied to a tree. And at the end of the day, when it was time to go home, the washerman was filled with sorrow because, well, what am I going to do now? Because I can't get my donkey to move. You know, he still believes he is tied to the tree. And so, again, you know, he had to go through the motions as if he is untying the donkey. And, of course, the donkey watched this. And then the donkey realized that, oh, okay, I, I must be free now. Well, the donkey was always free. He just believed inaccurately. His error was that he was tied to the tree when all along he wasn't. He just convinced himself, you know, and, and how, um, you know, how many times people are stuck in their sorrow just simply because they don't know any better or because, let's say, perhaps they were told something about themselves that they just believed, but it really wasn't true. But they took that on as an identity. They took that on as a means of, well, I guess this is who I am, or I guess this is all I can ever amount to. Well, who told you that? Well, that came from, you know, so-and-so or whatever, but is it true? You know, we would certainly be wise to take a look at, you know, who's telling us these things. You know, who are the people and where is it coming from in them? Is it coming from a wounded place in them? Is it coming from a limited place in them? Because do they believe that they are, in a sense, tied to the tree? Are they, you know, are they the ones caught up into this? Well, I can't do anything else because, well, that's what I've been told all my life. Okay. But, you know, there, as I said, there is a lot of people who are just really stuck in their sorrow because they don't know any better. And I see this all the time in, in counseling people. You know, they, they ask me, well, how can things get better? How can I go on living when I'm in so much pain and sorrow? Well, there is an old saying out there that from the moment we realize or the moment we are aware uh, that we're mortal and someday we will die, that's when we begin to grieve. But awareness of the truth has not yet occurred, and therefore, people have not found this internal freedom of who they truly are. But when the truth is realized, and, and we are made aware of who we are, and that we're not tied to the tree, so to speak, we shake off this illusion that has kept us limited for so long. So, of course, there would be tremendous sorrow in this third stage. But the fourth stage, this is where the truth, this is how it's revealed. And, and from whom? By the one who stands outside the problem. And in this story, it's the time when the truth is told to the boys, but they don't own it yet. 
in fact, they don't even fully grasp it. They just like, what? You know, the boys realize that, okay, nobody drowned because they kept forgetting to count themselves, like everybody who was there. But this is only half the issue. So they do what any of us would have done, and that is they just want to check it out for themselves. And, you know, these boys were told by the wise man that there are 10 of them, and and, uh, then they are shown by lining up and being counted by the wise man, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and they marvel at this. They go, well, how did we miss it? How come we couldn't see it? That's because the one who was counting forgot to count himself. And again, this story of the tenth man or these ten boys reveals an even deeper truth of awareness. And that is, it's one thing to become aware of the truth, that is, to believe the truth. It's quite another thing to experience it for yourself. Okay, you get the distinction? It's one thing to become aware of the truth, that is, to believe the truth. It's quite another thing to experience truth. But until you experience for yourself, it remains just simply knowledge. But when truth is experienced for yourself, it becomes transformational. It becomes wisdom. It becomes life-changing. So regarding ourselves as souls, it's one thing to be told you are the truth and you believe this. But it has to go deeper than mere belief. It takes experiencing this truth, which transforms it from belief to absolute certainty and wisdom. Which, by the way, brings us to the fifth stage, direct knowledge and practice of it. Once the boys realized their error and that all ten had made it safely across the river, then each of the boys you know, took turns counting. And when they included themselves, they found that all ten were alive. Yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yes, yes, we are all here. And they went from being told the truth to discovering and experiencing the truth for themselves. And the wise man in this story showed them not only what they were not, but he also showed them what they were. Yes, he showed them their error, but he also showed them their truth. And again, for us, we we put this into practice, this realization that we are souls. Yeah, we act out of ignorance. Yeah, we, we, you know, there's going to be times where we just don't know what we don't know. But when we discover our error, we also realize the truth about who we are. And now... We have to do something about it. How do we now live this out? And this is a powerful transformational point in the life of a person who's struggling to overcome uh, any addiction, either to drugs or alcohol or gambling or whatever. You know, there, there comes a time when people must not only own their truth, but also take the necessary steps to become clean and sober and relearn how to live in healthier, healthier ways. And ironically, in this stage, therein lies an essential ingredient, or a step, if you will, for us to continue in our awareness. And that is what we must make a decision to act on it. 
Knowledge is just knowledge if it is not acted upon and experienced. So stage six, sorrow is now gone. In this stage, you know, the boys in the story have realized that all ten are there. Nobody has drowned. Therefore, no need to cry, no need to grieve, no need to continue in the era of ignorance of the truth. All fear and sorrow are gone. And all that is left now is the last stage, stage seven, joy, bliss, and fulfillment. Walking in the truth of who you are, a complete transformation of not only understanding your truth, but also directly experiencing it, and then transcending fear and sorrow and ignorance. You see, we all have the potential for transformation of understanding who we are, as well as, you know, who we are as souls. But remember, it's what we identify with. Do we identify as just the body, or do we identify as souls? That makes all the difference between living in fear and sorrow versus living in joy and bliss. We all have the courage to reclaim that which we have always been and to reclaim that which that has always been in us. I'm Dr. James Houck, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. I invite you to join me next week as uh, we will take a, a further look at how this lasting joy and bliss is to be found within ourselves. But until then, everybody take care, be blessed, and be safe. Bye-bye. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk. It's all there. Just wander on over to ReclaimingAuthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific time on PBS Radio TV.